Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Barry, for trying the Oh Holy Night and succeeding, man. Good job. Good job. If you guys would, I know that uh, it's been kind of crazy getting in, but let's turn to your neighbor and just wish him a Merry Christmas and celebrate what God is doing among us. So thankful for what is happening. Christmas. Well, we are glad that everyone is here. So many people out of town and visiting families. We're so thankful to have you and uh, thankful that you chose to be here with us this morning to celebrate, uh, to be in wonder and awe of the nativity, of this wonderful story of God deciding to come and be with us, but choosing to do it in a way that is so unexpected. And we're excited to explore this story one more time. And let me say to the parents out there whose kids were up front answering these questions, I don't know if your kids are just really good at church answers or let's go with the positive side. You are doing a good job at home. So amen to that, right, church? That is awesome. You know, maybe my, my cynical side is like, man, these kids know how to give a church answer. But I'm going to go non-cynical this morning with that. But we are so glad that you're here and we get to witness that and hear kids read scripture and hear kids just pray like Zeke did, just that we're so thankful for what we've got this morning. I've got a little echo there, Nathan. I don't know if you'll turn me down. I can talk louder and, and uh, not worry about the microphone so much this morning. Well, my favorite Christmas decoration when my kids were little was this little, it wasn't a VeggieTales, but it looked like a little bit of a VeggieTales, except it wasn't vegetables, so it really didn't look like VeggieTales at all. But it was this little, like, play set nativity scene. And we would put it together, and it hardly stayed together, but when we put it together when my boys were little, I'm talking three, four, two, the, that kind of age, the toddle time, is our favorite thing was to put that together, then smash it. I don't know what I was teaching my kids at that time. But we would always put it together, then the boys would break down the little hut and, you know, the little manger scene, and they would run off, and then we would try to find time. Often, what we would end up doing is looking for the baby Jesus. For some reason, my kids took the baby Jesus as toddlers, put him in their mouth, and would run off somewhere. And so most of our time trying to teach the story of Jesus was spent really building and rebuilding, smashing and rebuilding, and then looking for the baby Jesus. And being a smart preacher, I was like, this is weird. This is a choking hazard. But also, the Bible tells us to eat of the word of God. And my children were eating of the baby Jesus, who is the word of God. Now, most of us probably have a uh, nativity scene around your house. But I discovered some nativity scenes that, that are just amazing this week. I looked up world's strangest nativity scenes, and I want to share a few with you this week. There's some out there that are just so good. And if you have these, please come find me after service. I want to know more about you. I don't want to know more about your nativity scene. I just want to get to know you. Come over for lunch or something. But here we go. Here's the millennial hipster Christmas. Right? Taking selfies, getting their Amazon uh, Prime delivered. Got 100% USDA beef right there. It's a strange one. Uh, here's one that our men will enjoy if you've been on our men's retreat. It's the meat nativity, right? Brad, next year's menu, I guess. 
Ugh, sauerkraut base, that looks gross. Anyway, for our artistic friends out there, uh, here's the minimalist, artsy, something you'd find in a modern art museum, maybe, MoMA, somewhere out there. Uh, this one I kind of like, it's cupcake. Uh, very well done. Somebody is good at cake decorating. And then this one, if you have it, uh, this is strange. Read your Bible. This is Frankenstein. <laughs> this one. Now, as strange and as fun as some of those are, I want to share with you one today that's actually biblically accurate that I'm willing to bet that not many of us have. It's more biblically accurate. Usually our nativity scenes aren't that biblically accurate because of timing. But this one's actually pretty accurate. It's the nativity with the dragon. It's a nativity story with this red dragon overlooking the whole story. See, there's four birth narratives in Scripture. Two that we know well. There's Matthew. Each of them have their own emphasis and uniqueness. One being Matthew and his emphasis on the Magi coming and presenting gifts. Luke is unique in its way as it presents the shepherds coming and kneeling and glorifying and having this experience out in the fields with the angels. And then the third one is John. And it's one line. It's just nestled in there in this poetic form of John 1, 4. The word became flesh. He came and tabernacled or set up his dwelling or moved in next door. But there's a fourth one that we talk about probably the least because it appears in the strange book of Revelation. It appears in Revelation chapter 12, which you'll see on the screen here in a moment, but if you want to follow along, I would encourage you to. It is a story of imagery and symbolism. In Revelation, the story of Jesus' birth is told not from an earthly perspective, but a heavenly perspective. A quick time uh, sped up version in which we get to see, which this is what revelation means, it means a peak, a revealing. Not an end of the world. Revelation means a revealing, a peak behind the curtain. And so this Christmas story, as we're about to read, is a view of the unseen. And Revelation 12 starts like this. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, it's probably, I would encourage you not to get lost in the weeds here. Of course, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. It's a little bit foreign to us unless you spent time with us with it for a while, but Revelation, in short, is a retelling of the biblical narrative. Revelation condenses all the imagery of the other 65 books in the Bible into one. John puts together images from all over the text, trying to make sense of a world gone crazy for Christians then and for Christians now. And as you'll see soon, these words in this story in Revelation about a sign with a woman who's dressed with the sun and standing on the moon is not only powerful in imagery, but it's powerful in its relevance. In this chapter, the woman wearing the sun and robe, standing on the moon with 12 stars on her head, is simply the, re the, the realization of the plan of God. 
If you read it at first glance, you'd say, well, that's Mary because she's pregnant. She's about to give birth. Yes, and it's the hope that appears first in Genesis 3 that there will come a child who will squash the head of the snake. And so what you're getting here is imagery of the plan of God coming to fruition. And then in the next phrase in verse 3, another sign appears. In this story of nativity, in the birth story, there's not only a woman about to give birth, then the text says, another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Here, the story speeds up. The plan of God coming to fruition, seeing from a heavenly realm, suddenly, not only is there a woman in the vision, but there is a dragon. And I want us to see this, so I borrowed a dragon from Mary Smithy in town today, this week. And we're going to, I'm so sorry for Alan and your family. You guys are about to get a face full of dragon. (laughs) What we see in this text is not only a dragon, but this massive dragon. A dragon with seven heads, right? And ten horns and seven crowns on its head. And it's so big that it's able to sweep a third, a third of the stars out of the sky. The meaning, there he is. The meaning of this. Now in the text he's not biting on a candy cane. Oh my goodness, that's right in your face. I'll move him over here. He's not so tough. There we go. (laughs) Is that a little better? Okay, sorry about that. His wings move. This is a really cool deal. But eyes on the preacher, please. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. What we have though is this vision of this culmination of all the might of a biblical character. Interestingly enough, the way he's described seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns, is the summation of all the crowns and heads and horns of the four beasts that are mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. This is an image of all evil and all chaos coming together in one moment. And this figure has come to stop the plan of God. And of course we know who this is. This isn't hard to figure out in the book of Revelation who the dragon is. The dragon, of course, is the enemy, the Satan, the deceiver, the one who leads the world astray, or the snake. The biblical figure who, in the text, motivates and animates the forces of empire, the powers of darkness, the chaos and evil in the world that we find ourselves. And this dragon although he looks festive here in the text, is mighty, but not mighty enough. He's ready to gobble up the baby whenever the baby would be born, to destroy the plan of God, to stop. The song from a heavenly perspective would be, Hark the herald, angels sing, a dragon waits to eat the king. And the text continues. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations, with an iron scepter. That's Psalm 2. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. 
Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the world, the whole world, astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Now, time here has collapsed. What Revelation did, chapter 12 and just nine verses, was give you the gospel story up until the cross and the resurrection in very, very short time. It's, a, it's the gospels on fast forward. This woman gives birth to a son, the fulfillment of prophecies. The baby, of course, is Jesus. This Jesus is ascended to heaven at the end of the gospels. And then the dragon gives chase. Just like any other battle, though, in Scripture, the dragon is quickly and summarily defeated. But yet, if you pick up the text again in verse 13, the dragon goes on to pursue the people of God, to pursue the woman and those that she gives birth to later, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, the disciples. The point is this, and don't miss this today. The point in Revelation is you are going to be living in a world where the dragon has been defeated, but yet he is not disarmed. He's like that bad guy at the end of a horror movie who you think is defeated, and then he turns and, ah, he gets you, right? It's the jump scare. Revelation is telling early Christians then and now and any time in between that when the nativity happened, when the birth happened, it set in it set in path the defeat of Satan. But we still live in a place where he is not yet disarmed. Now, of course, this version of the Christmas story is wrapped in all kinds of imagery and symbolism. And some would even say a lot of mystery, and that's true. But I want to point out what is very clear. Because from heaven's perspective... Although we love the song Silent Night and I love to sing it because it was a bringing of peace. In heaven's perspective, this was no silent night. The Christmas story is not some Disney-fied version of Jesus with lowing cattle singing some hymn, right? It is a night of violence. A night where the enemy was somehow foretelling and seeing his future end. And so the birth narrative in Revelation is not only the story of Jesus coming as a child, as a miracle child, but Jesus also coming as a liberator, as a redeemer, and a conqueror of the angel of death. It's not often. And this is where we get into some of the truth and the relevance, and I will speak from my own perspective. It's not often that I am thinking during the Christmas season of Revelation 12. Anyone with me? I'm not putting up Christmas trees, not that I hardly do that in my own house, to be honest with you, right? I'm not helping put up lights. I'm not thinking, well, I'm trying to once again wrap a gift that looks like a two-year-old wrapped it. I'm not sitting around thinking during this time of season. I do this to celebrate Jesus coming into the world to defeat a seven-headed dragon, Right? I don't know if I've ever had that thought. But we need this story. We need this scene of a nativity with a dragon because in it, 
what we start to see is a truer story of the gospel and our place in it. I want us to think about how dark the world can seem. Weldon, if you'll get those lights for us, and Nathan, if you'll get the stage lights. We know that the world can seem utterly dark at times. We feel that encroaching dark, darkness that this, this dragon brings on us. And he's not near as friendly with little lights in his belly like this one up here. But in this story, what we hear, and what you'll soon witness as we read a little more of the story, is that though the dragon is defeated and not still disarmed, light has come. And maybe that's the most important reason to remember the Christmas story from Revelation 12. It's odd how Christmas is also not a time of just joy, but Christmas season can also be a time where the effects of the dragon can be the most dangerous and the most painful. It's this strange tension that we all live in and we feel it no matter if we've been in life for decades and decades, eight, ten decades, or if we've been in life for just a few decades. We feel the tension that while things are to be jolly and we do have reason for joy, there's a tension between that joy and the pain and the darkness in life. There's times where it seems like because of the world we live in, everybody else is living the Hallmark movie that is so popular, those movies that are so cheesy but yet popular, everybody's living that except you or me. And I think we need to be honest about that. We need to be honest about that tension that there's going to be empty chairs at the Christmas table. There's going to be a voice missing in people's life this year. There's people all across our world who while we celebrate in homes and have an abundance of things, are going to be stuck in rubble or on borders or in places of war like in Ukraine and the Middle East right now. Not singing joyous songs, but wondering, is there any hope? Maybe that doesn't reach you, but I also want to mention the fact that also Christmas is, can be another just time where the darkness reminds us that we're still stuck. Stuck living with bad habits, stuck living paycheck to paycheck, still stuck unforgiven by a loved one, still without that desire, without that prayer answered, without that child, whatever it is, on and on. We realize, and the dragon reminds us, I think Revelation's point is to remind us the world is not right. This is not as it should be. And unfortunately, darkness seems to win. But that's exactly why we have the birth narrative. The birth narrative is a proclamation that while things were dark, Isaiah 9, light has come. See, Christmas and Revelation 12 is a story of a Savior and King who loves us so much that He would enter our world. That He wouldn't stand at a distance and say, good luck but he would enter into the world and take on the dragon. And I believe the gospel of Revelation 12 is summed up with these three phrases. 
that Jesus comes to be with us, incarnated as a human, but yet God. He lives 33 years for us, showing us how to live, and now through the Holy Spirit, after the death, burial, and resurrection, as we enter into His life, into His blood, He can now live through us. Revelation 12 is a story of with us, for us, and through us. This is why in the middle of the story in Revelation 12, there's this small break. There's a stop in the story of Revelation 12 where it seems like you're telling us that you defeated the dragon, but yet he has a lot of power. Is that really good news? But then we get this phrase in this song from heaven that tells us the truth. And it's a truth that light wins. Listen to this as some people start to light their candle. I want you to hear this, pra- this praise song in Revelation 12, 10 through 12a. It says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation. This is the gospel praise song. If Jesus is with us, if he is for us, and he lives through us, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in them. Now the story goes like this. Is this dragon, he can be noisy, he can be cumbersome, he can be in our way. But because of what Jesus has done, he's defeated. Yes, he pops up his head every once in a while. But then the Revelation story tells us that if you allow Jesus to be with you, for you, and then move through you, the song gave you one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture, one of my top five. When I feel that tension of darkness, that lack of hope, the difficulty that we find in life in seasons that maybe you've been through or one that is about to come, is that Scripture declares that this darkness can be defeated. It's defeated by those who are not afraid of death and who have overcome the dragon just as Jesus overcome the dragon through the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What a beautiful phrase. And that story for first century Christians and second century Christians then who read this letter for the first time is just as true now for us who read it the millionth time. That light has come. That light wins. As Jesus puts on flesh, He makes his dwelling among us as he shows us how to live. Jesus on the cross enters into death. And by entering into death, the devil thought he had won. But even death could not hold him because the devil never held the keys to death in the first place. God already did. And so God defeats death by death itself. And Jesus does this 
to bring light to us, through us, with us, for us, so that we can be released from the chains of the enemy. And when we cling to the word of the testimony, to the blood of the lamb, and we're no longer fearful of the thing that all humans are fearful of, death, then we become what Revelation says, overcomers. We're overcomers. I want to share with you as we close today and before we commune something that happened this last Sunday night a week ago Sunday night in the afternoon among our teens this past Sunday our kids went out in a group of about three different groups going out what they do every year is they go out and they just try to bless people they're just trying to look where the Lord is leading where, where God is moving among them and among this community and they try to just bless and many of you help them out financially with that Well, one group of our teens, a group of boys, they were sent out by Barry to go and put up Christmas lights. Go find a house that doesn't have Christmas lights, that might want some Christmas lights that you can go bless. Just a little light, some twinkling little colored lights in their life. And I appreciate our teenage boys so much because they got turned down 18 times. (laughs) Either the the house was empty or people said, we don't want it, right? Right? Because it's weird. Somebody knocks on your door and is like, we have Christmas lights for you. That's a weird, that's weird, right? Well, what they, what was actually going on is unseen to them and unseen to us, God was up to something. Because on the 19th door, they found a home and they knocked on the house and they told them what they were up to. And the woman who answered the door was overjoyed. She was overjoyed that somebody would offer this. And so they put up the lights in their yard and around her house, did the best they could, took the time to do it. And come to find out the woman that just that weekend had to tell her children, I don't think we can get a Christmas tree this year. And so they had no lights. And they had no Christmas tree. And they had nothing to kind of celebrate that light wins. But yet God moved and put our young men right there after 18 tries. But the story gets even better. Because about an hour later, some of our young ladies were out just trying to bless people with some financial gifts, and they were in Dollar General. And they were going around the store and seeing what they could find and I think being prayerful about what they were doing. And as they got into the store, lo and behold, who's in Dollar General? That exact same woman who had received the blessing of Christmas lights had told her boys, well, we got these Christmas lights. Let's go to Dollar General and let's all buy one snack and we'll watch a movie tonight. I can buy you before I get paid because she was living barely paycheck to paycheck and probably a lot less than paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. She said, we'll just have a movie tonight. We'll have a little snack. You get one snack apiece. And God met her again and met our teens again in Dollar General of all places, which I think is a God-forsaken place. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and he met her there. And instead of one snack... I don't know what the amount was, but I think our girls were able to buy her about $140, $150 in groceries. Light wins, church. It's God with us, for us, and through us.
We're going to sing a song and then in a little bit, as we sing, we're not only going to celebrate the baby, which is God's style. God uses the baby to defeat a dragon. I love it. He uses the lamb to defeat the enemy. We're going to get a chance to commune together. I'm going to ask you to keep your candles lit for that song, and then we'll have a few instructions and some prayer over our communion. But we are thankful that you're here, and let's rejoice as Barry leads us in song. Let's all stand together as we do that.